listening to the Soil Talk podcast. I am your host, Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead with Central Valley Ag. In Soil Talk, we will dive into managing soil fertility and applied nutrients while pursuing top yield. So Mick, today we're going to get together and talk about micronutrients a little bit. We've done a pretty good job of covering the macros and spent a lot of time on it. We spent a little time talking about tissue sampling and we worked micronutrients into that a little bit. Now I just want to get into micronutrients on their own. So when I think about micronutrients, I you know, everybody throws everything under one umbrella and I don't. I kind of have a priority list. And for corn especially, but even corn or beans, zinc's number one for me. I'd agree with that, Tim. I think zinc's number one. Uh, you know, then you think about manganese and boron after that. Uh, to me, it's it's not just the the micronutrients. I think I got to step back and say, do we have everything right before the micronutrients? Let's not get ahead of ourselves and and not have NP and K and S right and worry about micronutrients. Yeah, I've got kind of that same priority list and, and specifically my priority list in corn as I go through things. And, you know, like on the soil test, it, I, there's not a lot on the soil test that tells me about nitrogen, but nitrogen's still absolutely number one in corn as far as I'm concerned, because it's the one that's going to show up most. After that, pH, just because it affects things so much. And then I go phosphorus, potassium, sulfur. Zinc is about next for me. Then I, I go back and I look at those base saturation of cations. I'll spend some time on that. And then I'll go into my other micronutrients. And the, and the first two would be uh, manganese and boron. And then after that, and, it, and much lower, copper, iron. I do a little, a little bit of work with chloride. And I'll look a little bit at molly. But a guy's got to have everything else lined up before I even think about molly. How about you on the priority list? You know, I probably lift chloride a little higher than you do, but... I would say my my list is very similar. Uh, I've just played around with chloride enough that I know we see some chloride responses, especially if we get into areas where we're not putting out K fertilizer. Uh, we've got to get some chloride out there somehow. Yeah. So let's back up to zinc. Zinc's number one on my priority list for micronutrients. It's number one on yours as well. When we think about how we go out there and, and do some investigation on, on what we need to do on zinc. For me, I start with the soil test. I mean, a lot of times when we talk micronutrients, guys are talking about a tissue test, but I'm pretty comfortable with the soil test for zinc, or at least much more than I am with any other micronutrient. So I'm going to start there. And I, I really want that to be around two part per million. You know, if, if I'm in a field where you know, we don't have everything perfectly lined up and, and the grower's expectations aren't for, you know, 270 bushel yield. I might get by with a 1.5, but somewhere in that 1.5 to 2 is what I'm looking at. And then as phosphorus fertility goes up, I kind of move my zinc target up with it. What are your thoughts on all that? Absolutely. You know, there's a synergism between zinc and phosphorus uptake. And as we see phosphorus levels rise in the soil, we typically see the zinc zinc levels rise. And if we're not seeing that, we need to get that zinc fertility built up in that soil. Yeah. And one reason for that's, you know, those histories of manure application. You know, manure is a great source of phosphorus, great source of potassium, a lot of zinc in manure usually. So especially if a guy's got history of feedlot manure, you know, that's where guys are really throwing some tons out there. And that's where you'll see those 100 and 200 part per million phosphorus and 5 and 10 and 12 part per million zinc. And those are two of my key indicators that 
this field has got a history of manure on it. But but I do need the two to line up. And maybe if a guy's just uh, paid a lot of attention to phosphorus fertility, stayed you know north of crop removal for a long time, and he's getting a phosphorus number up there, but not the zinc. Say he's at you know, 40, 50 part per million phosphorus, but his zinc is still down around the 1, 1.5. I'm going to push him hard on zinc. Absolutely. And, that, that would be my plan. Yeah. And if he's not you know willing to just outright buy the zinc i'm gonna say well just quit spending money on phosphorus until you get your zinc up there because i think the one's probably holding back the other exactly yeah and when a guy's got a phosphorus issue you know say he's got 10 part per million phosphorus and i'm going to make a a recommendation for 200 250 even you know depending on how quick we want to bridge it up into that you know 20 part per million 25 part per million range on phosphorus i might even have a 300 pound uh, map or mes recommendation so i'm putting a lot out there, I'll always tell him we need some zinc with that. And if you're telling me, well, I don't want to spend that extra money on the zinc, well, then let's hold back on the phosphorus and make some zinc go out there with the phosphorus. We we got to be north of crop removal to build phosphorus, but I'm not going to let you ignore the zinc if we're going to throw out big numbers like 200 pounds a map. Exactly. Yeah. So when we go past zinc, you know, and, and confidence in the soil test, one, one thing I'll say is, is with grid sampling, I've got enough confidence in that soil test that I'll verberate zinc. I don't mess around verberating the other micronutrients much. What's your thoughts on that? I wouldn't mess around with with the other micronutrients a whole lot. Uh, I in the past I've played with boron a little bit in, in a real sandy situation, but we were just putting out just minute amounts through variable rate. But yeah. other than that, the, I don't have the confidence in the soil tests on some of those others to yeah. to really variable rate them. That's where I'm at too. Now, I want a soil test number because the, the plant tissue without a soil test, whether you're talking about, you know, something like phosphorus or zinc, where the soil test is really solid, or whether you're talking about something like manganese, uh, boron, I'll throw chloride, chloride in there, iron, where the correlation to the soil test between the soil test and yield and the calibration of fertilizer recommendations just isn't that good. Now I want both the soil test and the tissue test to help make good decisions. Exactly. You know, when we didn't have the time or money when we, these correlation calibration equations were built and uh, to do the, all the micronutrients. So we have some good values as far as guidelines, but we just don't have the, the quite the correlation calibrations we do with, with P and K. Yep. So the way it typically is going to work for me is I've got a grower who's aggressive and if he's aggressive, frankly, the yield should be kind of matching up. So he's on the upper side of the yield curve. So I'll just say I'm working with a, a dry land farmer in eastern Nebraska who's consistently kicking out 220, um, 230 bushel of corn. And he's had a field or two that's hit 250 and he's wanting to push higher. You know, we've already got a really good nitrogen program that's got multiple applications in it. Maybe we're doing corn on beans and I'm somewhere in that, you know, 180 to 220 pounds of nitrogen. You know, there's experience teaches you kind of how you can vary that based off your soil a little bit. We've got a good phosphorus number, like 30 part per million on the P1 Bray. I got my pH in that range I want to be in, which is somewhere around 6.5. I got a K number at 250 part per million. But on top of that, you know, with that in-season nitrogen application, we're doing some in-season K. I got sulfur, a good sulfur program multiple applications through the years. I got my zinc up or through the year. Yeah, multiple applications through the growing season. I got my zinc up there at, you know, two part per million or a little bit above, especially if, if that P is a little higher. 
Now we're going going to micronutrients, and that's about what are I, where I want to be with a grower as we move into micronutrients. I, I've got these easy things I got a lot of confidence in. I want to get all those taken care of, and now we're going to move into manganese and boron. And here's what I would do: I'd say, okay, well, you know, we're, we're grid sampling for all those nutrients. You know, the P, the K, the pH. We're grid sampling sampling for sulfur and zinc, our base saturations, all that. Now I want to add manganese and boron at least to a percentage of his grid samples. Maybe it's one out of every five, one out of every 10. I, I want to get a good five or six samples across that field where I'm getting a number for boron and manganese that I'm confident in. And one thing I should mention about the lab test, I need that, that manganese number to come from DTPA is yes. the extract solution I'm used to. And you are too. I know yes. that. And then on the boron, it either needs to be a, a sorbitol extraction or a hot water extraction. Those are the two numbers I'm comfortable with. If everything's coming from a malic tree, I don't even know what to do with those numbers. So that doesn't work for me. I Yeah, I get lost when I look at the malic tree numbers. They're all over the board. So, so we're going to get a soil test we can start with. Okay, here's me. So for manganese for me on that DTP extraction, I want to be somewhere north of about 15 part per million, which some guys will say that's pretty high. How about you? 12 to 15 yeah. and higher yeah. is where I like to be. Yeah. And then I know I've got a decent amount out there in the soil. And I know you and I talked about it in one of the previous episodes when we were talking about tissue sampling and foliar products. Foliar is a great way to, to band-aid or vitamin a plant that's a little bit low on something like manganese or boron. But my base fertility still got to come from the soil. Exactly. You know, and Tim, I would recommend if we've got a field that has a history of tissue sampling showing up light, Let's find a micronutrient package that we can spread do as a as a blanket spread across that field. Yeah, that's a good point. So uh, we covered the manganese. When you think about boron, so the number I'm going to throw out there for boron is I want to be at least 0.8 part per million. I'd rather be around one part per million. Um, it's a small number, and that's where I want to be. Um, it's tough to make even application with those, but just give me an idea where you want to be from a, a, the soil test perspective. I'd like to see the one yeah. is where I sit. I yeah. tend to be a little bit higher than you do, but uh, if the 0.8 was where we were at, I probably wouldn't recommend it, but I like that one number. Right. And just for our audience sake, when we say that mix a little bit higher than I am, this isn't more intelligent or anything, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, Tim, you're the most intelligent guy in the room. <laughs> or at least in the little room right around me, right? Exactly. You know, and so we've got that soil test number out there. So, you know, that 12, 15 part per million manganese, the around one part per million boron. I think we both agree on that. But I think we both also agree that once you start going into those micronutrients, we probably want to supplement that soil data with a plant tissue test. And I know we talked about it last time, multiple tissue samples during the growing season. Correct. Not just one tissue sample, but multiple. And, you know, like... I could do an overkill with with tissue sampling because I'd like to see every week because it is a snapshot in time. Yeah. Let's switch a little bit to products. So, you know, guys will start talking about micronutrients and then they'll say, well, I've got a, you know, a zinc deficiency and I'm going to use this foliar product. And I, I know we're on the same page. You don't agree with that. I, I think zinc needs to be out there early, especially zinc, for corn. Zinc needs to be out there early, you know. If we're in that in that two part per million range with our soil tests, let's get our excess zinc through our starter fertilizer. If we're south of there, let's put it out as a dry spread and supplement that soil also. But uh, certainly with our starter fertilizer is a great delivery system for zinc. 
Yeah, I don't think when, when you're talking corn, I don't think in maybe even soybeans, but especially corn, I don't think you can go wrong with zinc and a starter fertilizer. I almost don't care what your soil test levels are. Now, you're probably less likely to get a response when your zinc's at five part per million than you are when your zinc's at 0.5 part per million. But as a guy chases yield, zinc in the starter almost becomes a no brainer for me. And zinc in the starter is a no-brainer. We'll talk about that in another episode. But uh. Absolutely. So other ways to deliver zinc, like you said, something soil applied. But one problem I have with zinc soil applied is a lot of times my recommendation for zinc, let's just say I want to be at two part per million. I'm only at one part per million. And of course, again, I think there's a lot of opportunity to grid sample there and verberate across the field. But just for a general statement, I'm at one part per million short of the two that I want to be at. My recommendation is going to typically be somewhere in that two to five pounds of zinc range. That's tough to spread with a 35% product across all your ground. That's extremely tough to spread. Uh, that's where some of these micro micronutrient packages that we offer here at CBA uh, really come into play is because we can put that in a uniform prill and get that zinc spread out a little bit uh, more efficiently. Yep. And another product I, I immediately jumped to when we talk about needing zinc out there would be the, the micro essentials product, micro essentials SC, the sulfur zinc, you know, generally as we're chasing yield, we need sulfur. You know, even if I've got high phosphorus levels, like, you know, 40, 50 part per million, a little phosphorus, you know, something less than crop removal certainly isn't going to hurt me. And a nice, even way to spread that zinc would be that MESC product, hundred pounds, 200 pounds an acre, somewhere in that range. That's going to be a real nice spread for some guys trying to raise 250 bushel corn. Certainly. And we've even had some growers start to build zinc levels that are consistently using the micro, micro essentials SC product. Yeah. And I've never, to be honest with you, I won't say I've never heard of zinc levels too high, but generally that's only in a low pH environment and something odd going on in that field that I ever see a zinc toxicity issue. And that number's got to be somewhere. I want to see the the proven zinc toxicities I've seen are like a hundred part per million or greater. Correct. So when a guy gets to five part per million, I, I don't, don't worry about it. it. You know, if you're at 20 part per million and you got a pH 4.9, well, you might need to worry about that. But your problem is the pH is 4.9. The pH. Yeah, right. So when we talk about delivering something like manganese and boron, I like to deliver manganese in a starter. It is one way to deliver. I'm not saying it's necessarily my absolute preference, but manganese could go foliar, could go starter, could go some sort of dry product. Boron doesn't belong in that starter. Never, never boron in the starter. Uh, in fact, I've in the past I've tried to make corn plants turn white with boron in the starter. Ended up being that year it rained a lot in the month of May. And it washed that boron out. And we actually had some really good looking plants that were had boron in furrow. But typically, if you get boron in furrow, you're going to turn your plants white and bleach them. And uh, they don't photosynthesize very well when they're white. That always worries me because I know I've seen that too where, where guys have put boron in furrow even though – and a lot of times it's, it's a guy who's, who's trying to prove a, a problem. And then it rains like heck. And you don't get the hit. And I just worry about a grower who's tried that in the past and got away with it and is going to keep trying it because one day it will get you. It will get you. Yeah. So the boron at broadcasting that, you know, guys that are doing a two by two or guys are doing a culture cart, you know, you can uh, get boron in a band that way. I'm not a huge fan of it. I guess it's a way to get a little bit of concentration, but that's one of the problems with boron is you get concentrated boron. That's where it becomes toxic. 
I'll usually tell a guy, if you're going to band boron, you cut my recommendation or you divide my recommendation by 10 exactly. to get me to a number I'm comfortable with. Yeah. So if I've got a boron level of, say, a 0.4 in the soil, and, then, and again, we're shooting for that 0.8, 1.0, my normal recommendation for a guy that's in corn and soybeans is going to be somewhere in that pound to maybe two pounds. That's kind of where you're at. Yeah, roughly. Per acre. And again, that's tough to spread. So, but but something like a, a solubor is not a real high concentration. There's there's some granulated products. Um, boron's not a bad one to try to just address from a foliar standpoint either. I would agree 100%. Yeah. Now, as you're chasing yield, I do like to get some out there in the soil, but, you know, just a half pound, a quarter pound would be fine. And again, if you're going to uh, put that into some kind of a band, then I would say, a quarter pound or even a tenth a pound is probably the right rate to apply. Now, on the manganese side, I'm a little more aggressive. Something where more in that five pounds of manganese is not a bad yeah. recommendation. Uh, in furrow, obviously, is going to be much less than that. I'd, I'd use generally going to look at a chelated product, a lot lower rate, but it's going to be protected. A lot of times in, when we're talking manganese, we're in those high pH soils. Exactly. And that's a whole other thing. So high pH soils really tend to tie up those micronutrients. What do you do in a high pH soil? Well, definitely in for a starter in, in those situations because we create an acidic band around that seed that helps release, release some of those micronutrients. Uh, you know, other than that, you really can't do much to buffer that pH down, unfortunately. If, if high pH was easy to control, well, you and I wouldn't need jobs. Yeah, isn't that, the, isn't that right? On the high pH side, a lot of times, you know, we'll see it with phosphorus, right? A lot of phosphorus tie up low phosphorus uh, numbers, and then we go try to apply phosphorus broadcast. Sometimes we can we can raise those numbers and we feel pretty comfortable with it, but other times we'll make a couple applications trying to build soil test levels, and it doesn't work. And then usually I'm, I'm talking to the growers, there's something we could do to do some kind of a strip application, a strip till machine, a dual placement machine, something. Now, I know iron gets expensive, and especially if, you know, you've got a 80 acres of high pH out of your 1,500-acre operation, that probably doesn't make sense. But if uh, you got a 1,500-acre operation and 1,300 acres of its high pH, buying iron might be the best buying thing you could do. Buying iron could be the solution for it. Yeah. And if you're going to go that route, then that's a great way to deliver some of those micronutrients. Again, you got to cut back on that boron rate if you're going to put it in that way. But something like zinc or manganese, great way to deliver that would be in some kind of a strip-till machine. Absolutely. Yeah. As we think about bringing together that soil test and the tissue test, you know, we kind of talked about this before in, in one of our previous episodes, but I need multiple tissue tests out there. And what I'm probably going to do is use a combination of that soil test, looking at those target levels I was shooting for. But if the tissue test is telling me that I'm short, even though the soil test is looking pretty good, Number one, you and I always agree on this one. Go out and dig some plants up and see if there's exactly. a problem with the root system. But the other thing I'm going to do is, is we're going to make some in-season application. And maybe instead of the soil test telling me it's time to go to zero application, I'll make small applications soil applied as well, almost regardless of what the soil test levels are. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've gone a little ways into the episode. Um, we should maybe make a transition over to an a interesting farm story. We try to do that. So, Tim, I got one. Uh, here the, on Memorial Day, we had a, a flood at our farm. And uh, so the following weekend, it finally dried up enough that I could go out and fix some fence and had some fence completely 
disappear with floodwaters. And so I had my ranger out there and I'm hauling posts and wire and, and I'm running back and forth and got a little lazy one time. And I thought, well, shoot, I can cross the creek here. And I drove right through it. Well, that worked out great. And I worked on fence on the other side for a while and I need to go back across rather than drive to the natural crossing that I have there. I thought, oh, I drove this. I came across right here. I'll just go back. Ended up burying my ranger. (laughs) Had to walk back up to the house to get the tractor to pull it out. And then I had to wait for somebody else to help to get it out of the out of the creek but made you a little nervous when you knew that there was rain coming again and your rangers sitting in the creek yeah the last thing you want to be doing is pulling spark plugs out and turning a motor over to get the water out of the cylinders exactly yeah that's very good so for those really high yield guys i want to put together a program you know we kind of talked about our priority list we kind of talked about integrating that tissue sample and that uh and that soil sample, um, I'll just kind of walk through a little bit of what I've done. I'll normally have a a fall or early spring applied dry program that's going to include all the micronutrients I showed short in either in the soil sample or I was consistently short at in a tissue sample. That's going to be in my dry fertility program. In my starter, if we've got a two by two, I can do a mix. And some of these guys are high yield. They're going to do both. They're going to have two separate tank systems, two completely separate plumbing systems. And they're going to have an infro system and a two by two. I'll do some nutrients, including a boron in that two by two. But I definitely want zinc. I definitely want a little bit of manganese, probably a chelated manganese material in that infro. In that dry fertility, I'm going to have, and depending again on what I'm short, but zinc, manganese, boron. Uh, One thing we didn't talk about as much as we should have is probably that chloride. Now, for me, when I'm doing a chloride program, I just combine it with my potassium chloride. Even if I've got 300 part per million potassium for the chloride, I'll do a fall applied potassium chloride. And then I'll come back with another potassium product in season. Now, I've got to pivot. uh, Potassium thiosol is great. If I don't have that pivot, then maybe a K-mag that's got both potassium and sulfur in it works good as a top dress with urea. Otherwise, I could do potassium chloride there as well. And then I'm going to come back with a foliar around V6 and another foliar maybe just before tassel and then a final foliar brown silk or just a little bit after that that's my full-blown program for guys this is corn and a guy's got to be chasing somewhere 300 bushel north to put that kind of kitchen sink lot of dollar program together how about you be very similar uh you know i like the potassium uh adding potassium even in high in the high potassium soils we tend to see a response in my feelings, the, the corn plant, when it hits peak potassium uptake, there's no way we can pull it out of the soil. And so that potassium as a side dress or a top dress. Uh, uh, KCL as a, as a top dress program works great. Yeah, as long as you get some rain. that's a, You're always challenged with that. A little KTS in, in your side dress in the yep. liquid works great. Uh, you know, you get into those tissue samples and you start really digging digging deep in and you have everything right and you're just chasing those micronutrients yeah it's going to take more than one application to correct that it's going to be two or three and certainly that that late shot at brown silk uh, a late tassel application as i call it uh, 
a little bit of boron in there can help move those sugars into the into the kernels and and make your kernels feel a little bit better. It's always a multi-year process for me too. A lot of guys will try some micronutrients, maybe try a little manganese, try a little boron. You know, they, maybe they tried zinc and didn't didn't have you know something they could really point to and say it works. So then they drop it. I always tell guys it's never a one-year play. I mean, what's limiting in any one given season can vary so much. What we're doing is as we push yield and as we take care of the easy things, we move to more difficult things. It's a little tougher to get response. But long term, we know that we've been taking these things out of the soil for decades without replacing them. You got to come back a little bit, especially as you go to chase yield and you cover a lot of those limiting factors. So they're no, no longer limiting. Now, sunlight and rainfall and those kind of things, planting date, a lot of times we can't make that work. But you cover everything you can. And that's where these micronutrients really come in. But make sure you're thinking of it as a long term program because especially with things like zinc and manganese that are, are cations and are not mobile in the soil, they're going to stick around. They'll stick around. If the plant doesn't use them this year, it'll be around for next year. So, and, and to be honest with you, soybeans need these just as much as corn. We talk so much about corn and the yield contest and all that, but beans need these micronutrients just as much. So I, I frankly, I put the micronutrients on both the corn and the soybeans as I'm chasing yield. So. And I agree with that, Tim. I, I think we've tend to, Think of beans as a redheaded stepchild. Uh, I used to call beans a good, a good cover crop. You know, uh, things like that. You got to think of these beans as as more than that. You need to use, if you want to chase yielding beans, you better be putting on some micronutrients. A couple of years ago, I worked with a grower who had 101 bushel dry land beans. I was mainly in a plot, but the entire field was over 90. And when you're over over 90 bushels, and of course, back then it was $10 beans or better, and $900 an acre revenue on something that you'd spend a lot less in seed and a lot less in nitrogen on, that's not bad numbers. No, I, that's something I sure take every day to the bank. All right, so that should pretty well wrap it up for micronutrients. So with Mick Godekin, uh, it's Tim Undorf, and this is Soil Talk. Thank you for joining us today on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CVA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cvacoop.com, and you can see our precision focus blog videos every Thursday. With Soil Talk, this is Tim Mundorf.